This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. You're going to Houston. And I was like, I don't have to, really. <laughs> Sometimes you'll get, they'll, they'll trade, like the, the Denver Nuggets will get, will get the topic. <laughs> and then it'll go, they'll go to like my, uh, Miami or, or LA or somewhere where they've got a good team. Mm. That's, that's my basketball knowledge, exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this episode of the Game Time Podcast. As usual, it's our Premier League review episode with Tom and Ryan. Boys, how you doing? Good, mate. Solid. Solid. I'm, I'm, I'm super duper. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm also super duper. You stole my feeling for this week. Bastard. <laughs> um, really interesting set of games over the weekend. Let's start it at Stamford Bridge where, I mean, what didn't happen in that game in the end? Two all, a late equaliser from Chelsea after United came from behind, and then all hell broke loose after that. What, what did you guys make of the game? It was a, it was a, an interesting game. Uh, I thought first half Chelsea was so dominant. Uh, I was really surprised that, that after the second half, uh, or after half time even into the second half, United had looked like a completely different team in the same way they did against Newcastle a couple of weekends ago. Um, Pogba really took hold of the game as well in the second half like he did against Newcastle and there was a lot of questions in the first half about his performance he, he, I think he was probably at fault with the Rudiger goal um, poor marking led to an open and a free head on the penalty spot which is I can't imagine that's exactly what uh, they're working on in mid- midweek but uh, yeah it was, it, was, it was a really good game I think Martial played very very well and, and um I don't know about you, Daniel. You, you're, you're a lot closer to United than, than I am. But do you think he's a player that really should be given a bit more of an opportunity, um, maybe for the, the rest of the season? Yeah, I think he's he's just got more going for him than Sanchez at the moment. I mean, there's no disputing that Sanchez is a very good player. I just don't think it's working for him at Manchester United. And I think Martial is is younger than him, has played there for longer, so is used to the the setup, what's going on there. I think it, it just makes more sense to give him a go. Um, and he scored against Newcastle and got an assist, two against Chelsea. So I think he's taking his chances and whether or not Mourinho keeps letting him have them is a, is a different question. But yeah, I think he's got to be starting left winger, at least in the near future. I know since his debut in 2014, he's the highest goal-scoring player for, for Man United in that period. Uh, so no one, no one has scored more goals since his debut. Uh, he, he seems to get, he seems to be a player that uh, I think there's lots of photos of him on uh, Twitter. Who uh, and they say things like, uh, he looks like he's he's out shopping and he's just seen someone who owes him money. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he doesn't, he never looks particularly content about being a footballer. Um, but but yeah, he's I, I I think he's a fantastic talent. What what do you make of, what do you make of the uh, the new contract for Luke Shaw as well? Yeah, the, th- the my problem with, with Luke Shaw, and it's not a problem with Luke Shaw per se, but I feel like he is the definition of Stockholm Syndrome. Like, <laughs> he, he has been bullied by, by Jose Mourinho, and now he 
Darcy says nothing bad about the man. Like mm. anytime anything comes to press, Luke Shaw's like, no, he's, a, he's amazing. He's the greatest man in the world. And, and yeah, it's great that he's got a new contract. He's deserved that contract. And at the beginning of the season, I think it might have been after the Leicester game or before the season started. And he was quoted as saying something along the lines of, I don't just want a new contract. I want to earn it. And, and I think he has earned that. And I think he deserves it because he is on his day, a very, very good left back. And if he carries on the way he's going, could easily be United's left back for the next, what, eight or nine years? He's still young. Do you think he, I, I agree he's earned the privilege to be continue, continually employed, but do you think he has earned £190,000 a week? There, yeah, there's a different question. <laughs> no, probably that's a lot of money for, for a player who, it's not his fault that his leg got horribly shattered since he came back from that. He's always been out with a little few injuries. So 190000 a week is a lot of money. But I mean, if you're paying Maran Fellaini 200 grand plus in comparison, that's a really good deal. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I, don't know what you, I don't know what you guys think about it. I mean... Ryan might have a, a different view because Spurs are very good at keeping the wage budget quite low and as are Bournemouth, to be fair. like You guys don't spend a horrific amount of money on players. So do you think if he was at either of your clubs, he would be earning that 190 a week? No. thousand. I'd be very surprised <laughs> at Bournemouth. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to really <laughs> move some stuff around. <laughs> um. I don't know really. I, I think that um, a lot of thi- like I say a lot of things gets talked about like the Spurs sort of like wage cap and this idea of like not paying anyone over like a hundred grand a week. I'd be very surprised if that's still in, in place to be honest. But the way that I think the way that we do things a bit better than maybe other teams are around us is the fact that we offer players a basic salary, which is sort of still quite a lot of money, but then it's all done on bonuses. So like if for example we qualify for the Champions League, the players will get in equivalent will be like another hundred grand a week on top of their original wages. So that's, that's, it's quite good to incentivize and maybe putting people on these big contracts. Like it was famous that Wayne Rooney was earning, was it about a quarter of a million pounds a week at United? And when he was like in his, like his top contract years, like maybe 2012, 2013, when Chelsea were trying to poach him. Mm. Um, I feel like maybe that does breed a bit of complacency and you get people like say, like Shaw, who, even though he's a very good player and I would have him at Spurs. Same with Martial as well. Like when we were linked with swapping out of with Martial, I was genuinely thinking, oh, this could be great um, because he's such a good player and so is Shaw. But like maybe, like I say, it does breed a bit of a bit of a complacent attitude because you get people, if they're there just for the money rather than playing for the club. But like I say, it, it works both ways really because you get players obviously looking over the garden fence thinking, oh, he's getting 190 grand at Real Madrid or Man United or Barcelona or Chelsea or whatever. If you're playing at Spurs, but I do think like sometimes it does make people become a little bit sort of like demo- demotivated towards what they're trying to do. But like I said, that's just from the perspective of a club that doesn't pay extortionate wages most of the time. Yeah, I think Spurs have been pretty good over the years. Like you said, I don't know if that cap is still in place, but they've never gone out to spend horrendous amounts of money. And I mean, we'll probably talk about Spurs later, but it's quite good that ha- probably why Harry Kane plays the way he does because he's not being given obscene amounts of money and he's not got complacent. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I say, he obviously it helps that he's like been playing for the club since he was like in his well, he's about eight or nine years old or whatever it is. But at the same time, like I say, it does it does sort of make you think really like it, it's getting players to be playing for their position in the team and like for the for the shirt. 
rather than sort of getting someone who could happily just sit on the bench at somewhere like Chelsea um, and then just bring a wage in and then that'll be yeah. it. I mean, one player that we could probably pick up off that in terms of has played his way into a team is probably Ross Barkley at Chelsea, who last season didn't really feature, but this season is a real favourite uh, under Sari, and he nicked that 96-minute equaliser, got in the England team as well during the international break. Have you been impressed with the way he's he's kicked on for his Chelsea career? Yeah, I, I, I was a bit gutted when we were linked with him last year and then he chose Chelsea because I felt like, again, he was choosing maybe like the money and the idea of just sitting on the bench. But it's nice to see that he is actually trying to fight for his place. Maybe he just didn't get the fair look in that he did under Conte. But um, I do rate him as a player. Like, I remember when he was on loan back a, a, a few, talk about six, seven years ago now, he was on loan at Sheffield Wednesday in the Championship in League One. And he he looks like a really good prospect then. And then obviously see him come through at Everton. You think, oh, OK, this, he could play for England, definitely. And he sort of regressed a little bit because of injury. And then obviously moving to Chelsea didn't quite work out. But I'm glad that he's getting back into England team now. So I do really rate him as a footballer. No, it's, I think he, I think he was quoted as saying something like he really enjoys playing in that midfield three because maybe at Everton, at the beginning of his career, he's played more like a number ten midfielder, whereas now he seems mm. to be part of that weird midfield three that that Sari's got going with Jorginho and Kante, and then either him or Kovacic. Another player that pick, I was going to pick up on was Jorginho. United limited him to only seventy four passes, which is still really good, but. For a man who averages 103 passes a game so far this season, do you think that's where most teams are going to have a go at Chelsea and realise if they can probably suffocate Jorginho and stop him getting the ball further forwards that Chelsea will struggle, Tom? Uh, I think most teams will probably focus more on the Hazard threat before they they look at Jorginho. I think uh, I watched the game with a level of interest to see, to see what type of because what type of passes he was really getting on and it is a lot of passes in between the midfield line and the, and the defensive line where he, he picks up those stats um i don't think he has the the direct attacking threat that hazard has um so i, I think more uh, sort of maybe the bottom eight downwards are really just going to look at um getting physical with hazard and trying to block his uh, opportunities he Jorginho is a very good player and um, he's very good at moving the ball um, uh, horizontally across the pitch. Uh, so getting the, either either wing involved and letting the the wing backs overlap and give give options out wide. Uh, but I think United did well to try and suffocate that. I think it does help when you've got very energetic midfielders in there with um, with Pogba who can push push forward but also drop back and track runs. Uh, but I think Rashford and Martial were obviously clearly instructed to come inside and make sure that the, there was limited movement down the centre of the pitch as well. So Gareth Barry got 20,616 passes in the Premier League in his career, which I think in the end, with how many games he played, a- averaged out about 36 passes per game. Um, nice. <laughs> which is sideways to Chris Brown. <laughs> Jorginho is on uh, 927 passes in nine games, nine league games for Chelsea. So I think it would take him like five and a half years of just playing 38 Premier League games a season to overtake him. Well, they're there to be, they're there to be broken. Aren't they? <laughs> Highly speculative. Um, going back to the Chelsea game, and I guess we probably have to mention the shitstorm that broke loose after the equaliser of the second, well, yeah, the second Chelsea goal, Ross Barkley. Did you guys watch? Did you guys see it live or did you see the highlights? It, bit of a mess, no? 
I was, I was standing up in the front of my room shouting, go on, hit him, <laughs> for about three minutes. Yes, I did see it at the time. It was fantastic. Um, so, so it's been reported that Mourinho hasn't been charged. Um, he's just been given a talking to, but the coach that did do it has been reprimanded by the FA after I'm guessing he said something. He, he looked like he ran past a couple of times and then had a little bit of a dig the second time because Mourinho looked like he was about to lob his head off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fair, like I say, rightly so. I'm going to sort of touch upon this later when we talk about the West Ham game. But yeah, like I say, even though Mourinho is a pretty despised figure in those, well, in most of the premiership grounds, also in Chelsea, at Chelsea's ground, like, you can't really do that, even if you have scored a 96 minute equaliser. Like, <laughs> he was so good to punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Mental or not, he was like really giving it the bigger, and it's like, okay, well, maybe you just sort of deserved it, mate. To be honest, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see um, if there had been a um, well, if, if maybe they hadn't given out any fines because I think Mourinho would have quite confidently come out and said, Oh, it's ludicrous, you can't do that in the modern game. But my earliest memory of Mourinho is him sliding on his knees down the touchline at Old Trafford <laughs> with, with, yeah. with Porto. Um, so he he's not one exactly to uh, to show respect to the uh, to, to other managers, but yeah, I think uh, mm. I agree with Ryan. I, I, it was just yeah, it was a bit unnecessary. I, I, it, was, it was a coach as well, like some random coach for Chelsea. Like who cares? Like if Sari had done it, it probably would have been a bit more funny. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, otherwise I'm, I'm not that bothered. Did you see what uh, Sari did? Apologise and so did the coach. Did you see after the game? During the handshakes, apparently Sari picked his nose and just wiped it on the back of Mourinho's jacket as he walked away. <laughs> a sort of, de- sort of decorum from a, bl- of a bloke that uh, smokes sixty. <laughs> uh, um, on a final note, for that, in terms of where that leaves both their seasons, obviously Chelsea still unbeaten. Manchester United probably could have done with the three points after they turned a corner last week. Do you see it going? Anywhere different for both of these teams now? United going to carry on going up and Chelsea are going to keep challenging? Or what, what do you think is going to happen? I think Chelsea are going to need something. to. I think they're going to need to sign someone in January. Um, I think they're playing well at the moment. But I'm not convinced. Without having a second goal scorer, apart from Hazard, I think they may struggle as the season goes on. Um, they're doing OK at the moment and, and they're getting goals. But... Goals are obviously from Rudiger and, and Barkley, who, who, who was his first goal at Stamford Bridge as well. I think they're going to need another threat. And whether that means Murata steps up, which looks less and less likely with each week, or maybe <laughs> maybe they utilise Giroud a bit more. I think they may try and sign a striker in January. Um, uh, but I think United will get better, I think, I think as well. Maybe they'll have other focuses this season. Perhaps they'll be focusing more on the Champions League uh, to get further in that competition and maybe some cups as well. So it'd be interesting as, as it goes along to see where Mourinho's focus is. Uh, but I think they will continue to ride uh, the table as well. Yeah, and obviously United play Juventus, Ronaldo coming home. And he's had a press conference today. And I know it's not probably what we normally talk about on this podcast, but probably maybe have a weird chat on what's happening with with Ronaldo in terms of obviously he's had sexual harassments and rape claims against him so probably something just to mention that that's probably going to be marring a lot of what's going to happen tomorrow and what normally would be quite a normal occasion for Ronaldo to come back or quite a good occasion I should say 
Yeah, I feel like the some of the reporting of it, especially from the Juventus angle as well, like the statement they released the other day, is it doesn't sit very well with me in terms of like it depend, it doesn't matter who the person is, if that those sort of allegations are sort of thrown about, it needs to be investigated properly. It doesn't matter if you are the world's most famous footballer or if you've won the Ballon d'Or so many times or if you scored so many goals if someone makes that sort of allegation it needs to be taken seriously and the fact that Juventus have basically sort of come out and sort of said oh it doesn't matter because he's the best footballer in the world and we're fully behind him because of this it's like well maybe just sort of like bring it always always brings my mind back to sort of like the Adam Johnson case Mm -hmm. when Sunderland just completely ignored basically the sort of the ongoing court case continue to play him and, and such like and it's just sort of it doesn't sit well with me like they should not be footballers shouldn't be put up any on any higher pedestal than anyone else whether it sort of comes to like criminal activity or even something quite minor like say with uh, Lloris with, with his drink driving the other day it's still not a good thing to be doing it's it's probably um, not on the same level as sort of like a sexual sexual um assault allegation but still it's it's nothing that people should be proud of and you shouldn't be defending anyone that gets involved with this sort of thing and I do feel like it's sort of taken a bit of a gloss off the, the sort of the fixture but rightly so like I say it's not something that should just be buried mm. and just be like oh we'll just forget about it because it's Ronaldo because it shouldn't never work like that No no and I, th- I think it was probably important that we did mention it because it, it would have been weird had we released the podcast and not mentioned the, <laughs> the massive issue um, Right moving on to more Premier League games and the the game that me and Tom called in the end very very wrong last week, Cardiff versus Fulham, which had a real championship feel about it in the end. Cardiff scored four goals. I don't remember the last time that actually happened, but they won four two. On a note for the Cardiff fans, that seems fantastic, and they really needed that, especially after what Warnock said at the weekend. For Fulham, I mean, how much trouble are they really in now, Tom? Yeah, it, it's um, it's been a bit of a surprise, really, because I think they were tipped, like we discussed before, them and Watford were tipped for, for potential greatness this season to kick on and, and comfortably be away from the relegation zone. But I think they've been dragged into a relegation bat- battle very early on. Again, we've discussed previously that their defence is poor and they are giving up a lot of goals and that's going to continue to be an issue. Um, I don't know how far away Alfie Mawson is from a... From a uh, from being able to play. I think that's going to be a real, really important addition to their back line. But like we said last week, this game was, a, was a, I think, a more important game for Fulham than it was for Cardiff. And, and even so, the, the, the quality of play from Cardiff was great and they fully deserved their win. I also realise as well, because I'm an idiot, in the running order, someone has kindly written when Cardiff last scored four goals in the top flight. So. Yeah. No, it's more than three, that was. It's just they've scored more than three goals for the first time since September 1961. Jesus Christ. That is... It's one of my good ones. But yeah, I've got, um, I've got I've got another one as well. I've not put it on the thing just deliberately just to try and get a reaction to see what will happen, but I'll talk about it in a minute. So do you want to finish yours off? I was, I, yeah. I, I, the only other thing I'd add is that it, 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 there's been sort of um, some some comments in the last couple of days about uh, Jukanovic and, and the security of his job and I would be very interested to see how Fulham approach this because I think he, it's been reported he has two games to save his job now one of those games the next one is against Bournemouth so there's a very very good chance they will win because we tend to play teams when they're on the downer and then they pump us <laughs> so um, I wouldn't be too worried if I was him at the moment but it would be very interesting how they deal with that because he played really good football last season they deserve to be a Premier League team and, and 
people were commenting how they were almost playing like a Premier League team last year. If they are to sack him this early in the season, I think it sends a big message out to maybe what Fulham are trying to achieve this year. And I guess maybe as a result, you may get a different calibre of manager applying. But it'll be interesting to see how they deal with uh, the next few results and whether that results in him losing his job. I mean, while we're talking about managers losing their jobs, the sack race this year has been a lot more interesting than it normally is because normally by this point of the season, one team's getting absolutely pumped and they're bottom of the table with one point and the manager's getting sacked. But we've had like Mourinho thrown into that mix. I mean, Rafa Benitez is probably in there somewhere because Mike Ashley is his chairman. You mentioned Jokanovic there. Do you think anyone else could be potentially drawn into that sack race in the next couple of weeks? It's difficult to say, really. I think I think Jokanovic is there on merit at the minute. I mean, I was, I was reading a piece the other day about saying about how when he was Watford manager, because they, they went at the same year as Bournemouth, didn't they, Tom? Yep. The, the year when you beat them to the title by like, two points or something like that the last mm-hmm. day. And um, I remember like he, he obviously led Watford to promotion, but then didn't take them into the uh, premiership because he well, he left before the team started. And a lot of people were saying, like, oh, he maybe deserved a, a chance to manage them because he got them promoted. And he has a certain goodwill with a certain few football fans thinking, oh, yeah, now he's got his chance. But I think that goodwill is now sort of flowing away because of the way his team are playing. I mean, like I said, the, the statistic, the, the Cardiff have scored three goals or more in the first, in the top flight or the first divisional premiership since 1961 is a bit of a damning, bit of a damning statistic. But another one, which I found the other day, that if Fulham, you said about Jorginho carrying on at its current rate with passes, Fulham carry on with the goals conceded. Um, the way they've started the season, they are, they are due to concede 106 goals this year, which is um, more than significantly more than the terrible derby team that is always like the <laughs> the benchmark of awfulness in the Premiership. So, like I say, it's completely legitimate that Jukanovic is probably the favourite to lose his job now. Um, in terms of someone else coming in and being put in the sat race, I can't see anyone else really. I mean, like I say, look at Benitez because the situation it is, but. Yeah, I thought I say it's definitely reasonable to be speaking about Yukanovich maybe having a couple of games because like I say the recruitment looked on paper to be good in the summer, but obviously now we can see that they've still got a championship defence and it was a leaky one at that last year. So now they've not even patched it up really, apart from like I said with Alfie Mawson that he's injured. So yeah, like I say it's not not looking too great for them, isn't it? No, I was I think it was the second goal, was it the Bobby Reed goal is the weirdest set piece hmm. I've ever seen in my life. And I can only compare it to what happens on FIFA where you press too many buttons at a free kick and no one, no one really knows what they're doing. And then somehow the ball just rolls through to Bobby Reid who just slots it under the keeper. Just a... It was awful to watch, but like it was, it was funny in a way because it, it reminded me of that. Um, you remember the Swansea Palace game from like three years ago when it finished five four, mm. and it was like just an awful load of defending. And it was like the end when Bob Bradley ended up winning in his Swansea manager like time as manager, mm. and it just reminded me of that. It's just teams that just seem to just lost their lost their heads for about twenty seconds, and then it just everything happens. It's just chaos. That oh, was beautiful. Um... Positive note for Fulham, to be fair, Ryan Sessegnon scored and that goal is pretty important, A, because it got Fulham back into the game, but he's the first player born post the year 2000 to score in the Premier League. And that does make you feel old, doesn't it? Gutting. (laughs) Well, I I was thinking a minute ago when you were talking about um, Jorginho saying if he he plays the same way for another, did you say six seasons, he'll, he'll... 
he'll uh, he'll break the Gareth Barry's passing record. Yeah, and I thought, oh, he's quite old. Like he he, he, he might really struggle to do that because he'll be into his mid thirties. He's twenty six. He's he's a year older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything's devastating now. It used to just be the young players like Lukaku. Lukaku I think is a week older than I, a week younger than I am. But now even the old players are just just a little bit older than me. Ryan Sessegnon, obviously, like I said, scored. It's a really interesting list of other Premier League millennium kids. So Phil Foden on that list as well. I mean, say what you will, he's a good footballer. He's not really getting the time at, at City. Other players on there, Callum Hudson-Odoi, another player who doesn't really be, get much time in at Chelsea. Um, Morgan Gibbs-White for Wolves. He's had four appearances. Do you think that these players should move away to get a bit of game time, especially when you look at the likes of Jaden Sancho, broke into the England squad, uh, Reese Nelson on loan from Arsenal at Hoffenheim, scored two at the weekend in the Bundesliga. Is it time for these youngsters to maybe realise that their future might lie somewhere else? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I do, I do think it would. it is a massive, a massive boost to some of the some of the players that have already done it. But like I say, it is, it is, sorry, also very keen to remember that they are only 18 or just about 18. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I say, I think players like from Chelsea, especially like I mentioned the other week when we talked about like, the unpopular opinion bit about like the impacts that um, leaving the EU could have on mm. um, football. And I feel like those players, like I say, they're just, they're just not going to get games. And hopefully this new rule with like the loan system means Chelsea will just have to maybe like, sell off players. Mm. I mean, they can put buyback clauses in. Like, I don't know why that, that isn't more of a thing in England. Like you see it in Barcelona and in Italy a lot of the time. Like Barcelona are famous for sort of putting buyback clauses into players. They'll sell them and then they'll get them back if they turn out to be half decent. Um, and I feel like it would work out quite well for certain teams in England. Like I say, you've got someone like Hudson Odoi maybe who could just go to like easily slot into a Championship team or maybe even like lower end Premiership team. And then you just absolutely, if he can't, turns out to be great, you can just buy him back from the club that he's at. Mm. And then Chelsea have lost money on them, um, but yeah, like I say, it's a, it's a strange one really. With with you see these players, and it's definitely going to turn some heads, and hopefully it will inspire like a, a new generation of footballers to go abroad and not be as scared to go abroad rather than just like cause it used to be quite a, a weird thing to see an English player abroad. But now hopefully it will come on. A team that does quite well with with young players is Bournemouth. Tom, what do you think of of how the so-called better youth players are, are handled in England? I think I'd like to just see a bit more of a dispersion of the players across the Premier League in general. Um, it'd be quite nice to have, whether it's hudson Adoy or something like that, is, I mean, I don't, there's not many uh, young English strikers that sort of ply their trade at lower Premier League teams. I think when you're in the Premier League and you're maybe a bit more desperate for goals, it's, it's a lot easier to, to turn to the Troy Deeney type, the Glenn Murray type, the guys that I guess are a bit more proven in the division. But yeah, I mean, Bournemouth are good at developing youngsters with the likes of Brooks at the moment and um, obviously Lewis Cook and Nathan Ake. The only problem is I do feel like all we're doing is um, incubating these players until one of the big boys wants to have a go on them. And um, it would be a bit, I think it would be nicer to have the opportunity to develop an Adoy or a, uh, yeah, like a Sancho, and, and I mean Sterling was at QPR before he went to Liverpool. It'd be nice if those players came through the ranks of your own club, and I understand why they move because there's better facilities. And I know if you if you're a youth, a youth player at Man City, they pay for you to go to private school, so you get a, a good education as well. But it would be nice to have 
maybe some regulation on that where you, you're seeing more more young English players develop to the smaller clubs and they maybe get their chance a bit earlier and, and that gives them the opportunity to, like Ryan's saying, people like Tammy Abraham or when Sanka doesn't get it at Liverpool, but there's other players out there who are getting their opportunity in, in the Championship this season and uh, Wales are very good at it. A lot of their players are, are on loan in, in Mason, well, Mason Mount's obviously English, but there's there's a, there's a few other players out there as um, uh, who are getting their time in the Championship this season to develop. Uh, but I, I, yeah, it, it's a catch twenty two because it's a good point about putting buy buyback clauses in, Ryan. But if you can just sit on the players for for five or six years, like they do with Loftus Cheek, you don't even need to sell them. You just let them play rot in the reserves for a few years. Yeah, that's like so. Hopefully, that that new rule will bring him in because that's Chelsea's. The whole youth system's built on that. Like a good example is Ryan Bertrand, where they bought him from Gillingham for like. 200 grand, mm. sent him out on about eight different loans and then sold him for about 10 or 12 million to Sampton. So that's obviously they've just made so much money on it and that's what they do. Chelsea, like I said, they'll buy these youth players in from other teams and then hope to make profit on them and it's not really, it's to the detriment of the national team and it's to the detriment of their careers as well. But like I say, some, as we said earlier, some players are just happy to do it and hopefully this, this trend will start where people will go and actively look for football in like foreign leagues. A final word just quickly back on on the Cardiff-Fulham game. Can Cardiff start going upwards from here or do we still think they're going down? You, you had no confidence in those words. I <laughs> literally, I was sitting there, I was thinking, I have no fucking clue what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I would say just, just on the point you said about that thing about um, Neil Walker saying he wouldn't bet on Cardiff to stay up. Yeah. He that has been sort of taken a bit out of hand in terms of what he actually said. Like he did say at the time, acting as the resident Cardiff um, reporter for the podcast. Um, <laughs> he did, he said, that, yeah, he wouldn't have money on them to stay up, but also he wouldn't have had money last year on them getting promoted because it was so unexpected. So I think he's like, just basically just saying in general, like, don't bet on us because we're really unpredictable. <laughs> so, and, and, and Robbie Reed came out earlier, I think yesterday or maybe today, and he came out and said basically that, um, yeah, it was one of those things where like we seem to thrive off of him being a bit, um, putting pressure on us in a way sort of like sort of come up with these mind games and they'll be like yeah okay well he said this now but then we can try and play our football which is I suppose like an interesting way to manage but if it works it worked it's almost like him doubling down on them being shit though <laughs> him saying yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah would, would I no I, I think we're shit this season but then I thought we were shit last season as well prove <laughs> <laughs> me wrong again boys prove me wrong again <laughs> Oh, Cardiff. Well, if that's the way they react to him saying those things in the media, I imagine we're going to get a lot more beautiful one-liners from Neil Warnock as the rest of the season goes on. Um, Looking back at some of the other games, Manchester City did what they normally do. They absolutely bulldozed Burnley. Not a great day if you're Joe Hart and Burnley, I guess. Or Sean Dykes because of the uh, meltdown he had in the uh, press conference (laughs) when he was tugging at the reporter's shirt. (laughs) I saw a stat as well today that, that um, Man City are unbeaten in 34 3pm kickoffs in a row. Jesus. So, that, that, uh, let's see, they haven't lost a 3pm kickoff since September 2014. But to put that in, into, I guess, a good comparison, it's another, another Derby reference in this podcast. Um, in that season, Derby lost 30, or didn't win in 31 consecutive 3pm kickoffs. <laughs> <laughs> so... Just, just, just everyone, everyone knows again. 
They were shite. If it needed proving, we've proved. I wonder why that. If that's the reason why 3 p.m. kickoffs aren't allowed to be shown anymore, because Derby was so bad, they're like, nah, that's it. Let's just scrap them. No more. I think even that's when you can't blame on Derby. I think that was. Been... <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice to blame them, but unfortunately, we can't. Uh, um, obviously, five goals for Manchester City versus Burnley. Aguero scoring again with the likes of Lukaku and Harry Kane not firing. Do you think it's going to be a straight shootout between Hazard and Aguero for that? Golden Boot slash Glenn Murray. <laughs> um, it's too early for that, I think. Um, we've, like I say, look at players the last few years. Um, like Kane sort of can come out of nowhere and have a good spell in Christmas. And then Salah is yet to find his sort of proper form, even though he scored at the weekend from last year. So I think it's a bit too early for that. But I, th- I think there's they're definitely getting ahead of the game. Whether, like I say, Aguero can stay injury-free. I know Hazard picked up a knock against United. So all of it takes is a couple of them to get injured and then all of a sudden you've got players breathing down their necks, like say like Lukaku or Kane or whoever just score a hat next week and all of a sudden it gets um gets all even again. Yeah. Probably expected that answer to be fair. I was being heavily optimistic with uh, <laughs> how early doors I was going in with that one. Um apart from that, Burnley not much they could have ever done, to be honest. I think City just keep going through the gears as the season goes on, though. No? I thought like they actually defended all right <laughs> to concede five goals. I didn't think they played particularly poorly. Uh, maybe a couple of errors, but on the whole, I think Man City scored some worldies in that game and it's difficult to defend against possibly the best team that's ever played in the Premier League as well. So, you do feel sorry for Burnley. Um, I, I still think they'll probably be comfortable this season just being outside of the relegation battle. Um, I think Sean Dyche is yeah, getting incredibly worried about uh, some of the uh, the football that the opponents are playing against Burnley. I know he was very disappointed that Company wasn't sent off in the first minute, and uh, for a foul on Aaron Lennon. I do. I think if that had been later on in the game, there, there may have been a, a case for him to be sent off, and that could have potentially completely changed the game for City. But yeah, it's it's, it's difficult to get in front of a locomotive train like that, and you you are going to get battered now and again when you go to uh, their to have. Yeah, Lennon did get battered. <laughs> right in between the legs. Yeah. And I guess Burnley were unlucky because that second goal was controversial if the ball actually had gone over the line or not. But it doesn't matter in the end because City scored five. Um, elsewhere, Brighton steadying the ship. They beat Newcastle 1-0. I think well and truly my prediction of Newcastle winning the title is uh, is gone now. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tough. Tough. It's, it's, it's really tough to take. Um, but no, a good result for Brighton because... As we said, they they were looking a little bit shaky at times, but they seem to have gotten back on track. Moving on. I was only <laughs> going to say, uh, Murray had a concussion after the game. and It looks like he may be out for a, a couple of weeks. So um, as long as they can recover and get some goals in when he's out of the team, they should be OK. So in summary, they're not going to be scoring any goals. <laughs> nil, nil for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, Another quite interesting game. Watford beat Wolves by two goals to nil. Those two goals coming just 58 seconds apart. I don't know who put the Alan Partridge comment, but it made me laugh when I was reading the running order. <laughs> it was a good it was, uh, I think we said last week we, we thought that they would be bouncing back. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, 
I was impressed with Watford. I think Wolves, are, especially at home, are a very tough opposition. So to, to go to um, to Molyneux and get three points is, is a great result for them. But we did kind of think last week that they had had a, a very poor performance against Bournemouth. Um, so probably we're going to focus a lot on the international break to, to recover. And they did that brilliantly and deservedly got three points. And Etienne Capoue scored really good goal. It's the most Etienne Capoue goal I've seen in a while. I don't remember him scoring any goal that isn't just a very cleanly struck hit into the corner. Oh, I love the fact that goalie just didn't even bother as well. <laughs> it went, it went a couple of, couple of pairs of legs and he's just like, okay, just turn around to get the ball. Let's go again, boys. Because <laughs> <laughs> then Martinez gives the ball away and then 40 seconds later, again. So, yeah, not the best. Not the best couple of minutes. But, yeah, I thought Watford were well-deserving of it. The, the way that they sort of um, didn't really didn't really sort of react in terms of, uh, didn't really sort of go overboard after the Bournemouth game. Like, it could have just brought in a load of changes, but it made, what was it, four changes to the team, I think. So, it, it's not sort of like, um, not the end of the world, that 4-0. That it's not sort of ruined the season. And um, it was quite weird as well. I watched the highlights and I noticed at the end of the game that Wolves fans, there was like, it's quite refreshing to hear actually, they weren't, they weren't sort of like booing the team off. They just sort of were like, okay, one of them days where they're just not, They've not really been at it, and they've been beaten by like a better team on the day, and they just sort of seem to accept it. Whereas they like, get other teams like you lose like two 0 at home, even if you're in really good form, and they'll just get horrifically booed off the pitch. And you think like, well, no, sometimes they just don't turn up, and it's just one of those things you can't do anything about it. I'm afraid, and they just sort of move on. But yeah, it was nice to sort of see, nice to see that in a weird way. Yeah, no, it is nice to see that not all football fans just want to boo all the yeah. time. Um, Sometimes like I say, it's just one of the things where it's just like, oh, okay, well, no, nah, it's always next week. Speaking where football fans do seem to boo all the time, it's at West Ham. They lost, <laughs> they lost one nil to Spurs. How did you see the game, Ryan? I'm, I'm pretty sure you must have the best opinion on this pod of uh, how that game went. Um, it's 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 hideous. I hate West Ham away every year <laughs> because um, it's just one of those games where they seem to get way more up for it than we do. I mean, like, with the greatest respect to West Ham, like Spurs have a bit more on their plate this year with like the Champions League, and we sort of see Arsenal and Chelsea as sort of the traditional rivals. But West Ham have this sort of thing where they always want to get involved in a bit of a scrap whenever we seem to play them, and it's just like it's not really a reciprocal thing. We just see it as a bit of an annoyance. So for them to sort of like, like I say, sort of turn up and and sort of give it, try and give it the bigger than that. And to come away with a win, it's just like a nice, it's just a nice feeling. It's like, okay, let's let's put them, we're playing them again in like 10 days in the Carabao Cup. And it's just like, we've put them away for now. So hopefully they won't, they won't be coming back at us again in 10 days time. But yeah, like I say, it's just, we're just getting the grind on the minute, just winning them games 1-0, which is rare for a Spurs team. I never used used to do that. We used to just be very flaky. And to just win these games, just sort of like getting them done fairly, without any fuss, even though Lurie's had to make like three or four good saves, it's just nice to see that we can actually like, win games ugly. That save from, was it the Arnautovic header? Like proper mm. picked it out of the top corner. It was a tasty save. Yeah, I think the the one, that one as well, and then there was another one, he sort of pushed it wide of the post, but then the one in the last minute where Arnautovic was through and sort of Sanchez put him off, slid in, and then he saved it sort of like going down to his right. And it was, that was, that was sort of saved us the game in the end. But yeah, like I say, it's just 
saw a really annoying piece of like clickbait journalism earlier about this West Ham journalist was moaning that Harry Winks was giving it the big one in front of the West Ham fans when we scored. And it's like, after all the things that have gone on with like celebrations this week with like um, Mourinho and that, it's the shittest thing to do. <laughs> and it's just obviously, like I say, they're just, they're just clutching because they, they got beat and it's, yeah, it was uh, that frustrating me because like I say they're, they're, they're a nuisance team, West Ham. They're, they're not really a, a rival team in my eyes. They're just, they're just irritant. One thing I did want to mention as well, just the fact that um, they, they scored what I thought was the equaliser in the 85th minute, set off the uh, bubble machine, and then three fans threw flares onto the pitch. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, never celebrate too early. Never. No, terrible idea. No, never pop your flare early. All right, Liverpool beat Huddersfield. Not really convincing from the Reds, but then they did have a couple of injuries from the international break. Mo Salah scored. Huddersfield a second bottom of the table. Anything else to say from that game? Huddersfield haven't scored since April at home. Yeah, it's... And, and that's a really... And I, they, I watched the game and, and I, don't, I don't think Liverpool were... Um, like, like you said, they, they definitely missed Cater and they missed Nane. Uh, I think there has to be a bit more from them to come this season if they really do want to achieve what what they've been well targeting City, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think there's a real issue with Huddersfield if they can't score goals uh, and soon they're really, really going to struggle. Um, I, I think they, I think we, we all had them as one of the ones to go down at the beginning of the season, and I think they're looking like a team that's going to get relegated at the moment. They have four joint top goal scorers, three of them are centre backs, and then the other ones are defensive midfielder. You say what, one, of the, one, of the, one of them is an own goal, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's always the wheel that's out. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. And adding to what you said, Tom, they've had 121 shots on target since April, scored one goal. Yeah, also, if you're on the other end of things, if you're a Huddersfield goalkeeper, I think this is so unfair. So they've had one clean sheet this season when they drew nil-nil. And neither goalkeeper got the clean sheet because Ben Hamer started and came off injured. And then Lossell came on and it doesn't count if you come on. So all the defenders have clean sheets to their name, but neither goalkeeper does, which I thought was... um... (laughs) Last game on the Saturday, Bournemouth-Southampton. They played out a nil-nil draw. Tom, do you watch the game? What do you think of it? Um, It was pretty bad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I think... It's probably more to say about Southampton. They they missed the chance to win. They they had a, a Gabardini right at the end of the game should have scored and they should have won. Um, but yeah, I, I think after the game, <laughs> Mark Hughes came out and said it's a real statement. They were able to get a point at Dean Court. I mean that's a that's a pretty <laughs> pretty big comment. But uh, it, it, I, I think I said on uh, when we were talking earlier on. Uh, if if that's if that's a good performance for them, they're going to struggle this season because we we were not at the races. It looked like most of our players were still on the international break. Um, yeah, I, we were probably lucky to get a point in the grand scheme of things. I know Austin missed a couple of chances, and it was good to see Danny Ings back. But they're going to need to really kick on and and get some goal scoring from somewhere as well because they look soft up front. For people who've watched Serie A regularly, no surprise with Manolo Gabbiadini absolutely butchering that chance. Later the game. The Matt. thing I found quite interesting for um just as a, again another statistical point of view, that saw something the other day about Southampton. We we're trying to pin, pinpoint if they were the worst, currently the worst team on like pound for pound in the Premiership. 
found out something that I couldn't really believe the other day that apparently they're third but in the league of like chances created behind Chelsea and Man City in the whole division. Fuck so they're, creating, they're creating the chances. They have just got fuck all up front. Mm. Yeah, they've, they've created something like um, it's over a hundred sort of, of sort of chances. Uh, like I say, again, it's an arbitrary sort of stat like, in terms of like what do, what counts as a chance. But even that sort of Chelsea game when they, I know, I know, Danny Ings had a couple of a couple of attempts. Like I say, the Gabby Dini one was like the big standout header. I mean, he's like six yards out or maybe eight, if I'm being like generous. And he just balloons it over the bar, and you just think like it's just a team that lacks complete confidence and belief in what they're doing. It's ridiculous, really. Like I say, it's, it's so people always say about like sport. And the impact that psychology has, and like I say, it's nothing is more apparent than when you see a football team that's low on confidence, and it's so apparent with Samson. If they, if they were sort of in Bournemouth's position, and the roles have been reversed, where Samson would have been like had a good start to the season, they he would have buried that without a doubt, and it would have been a one 0 win. But because like I said, their, their confidence is so on the floor, all of a sudden you've got Bournemouth maybe like I say coming out not playing their best and still getting a point. You got Samson turning up and playing okay, and then just can't seem to put the ball in the net. Strike, striking coaches at that club must just have given up. I don't know. Like I say, like we, we were saying about like these players like Redmond and whoever before, like Elian Usi, saying like, well, maybe they're not performing. They are. It's just the people <laughs> up front that can't score. <laughs> Bloody Danny Ings. Big, big injury as well. I mean, Lamina, Lamina went off injured. Um, looked like he, uh, uh, maybe at best, jarred his leg. But he looked like he was... Um, maybe potentially ligament damage. That that would be a real um, disappointment for them if, he, if he's out for a long time. Mm. Out. He's a big also, boy um, Yarmolenko as well. Didn't mention the West Ham game. He looks like he's going to be out for maybe the rest of the season, yeah. which is a bit of a shitter for them, I'd say, because he, he has seemed to be a good, sort of like an attacking force over the last few weeks. Final game of the weekend was on a Sunday. Everton beat Crystal Palace. Two goals to nil. A couple of late goals from Calvert-Lewin and Tossard. Everton, a bit like Brighton, seems to have steadied the ship after a few rocky results. Palace seem to have dipped in form a little bit. Uh, what do you think about those two teams at the moment? I feel like the Everton, the Everton Crystal Palace game reminded me a lot of the Arsenal Everton game from a couple of weeks ago. Um, in terms of like, sort of like, in that game, Everton sort of gave as good as they got for about seventy-five minutes, and then Arsenal just sort of ran away with it at the end with two goals. And it was sort of maybe a lack of belief that Everton goes to a place like Arsenal, sorry, and win. And I felt like that Crystal Palace were a bit like that last yesterday. Obviously, they had missed the penalty, which was a good save by Pickford um, to sort of get his, keep his legs down in the middle, which is a very rare skill to sort of see a goalkeeper do. And obviously, they hit the underside of the bar. So I think um, Kuyate had a header that hit the underside of the bar for Palace. And I do think, again, going back to what we said about Samson, it's like a question of belief, where like you think do these teams believe they can go to a place like Everton and win? And I don't think Palace did. I think that's partly the reason they did them, because, they, again, they defended well for about 85 minutes. But I just don't know if they're actually willing to believe that they can actually go to a place and, and win a game. A bit like, say, the Everton game from at the Emirates of the week. And I just think it's just at the, at the end, that sort of cost them. Maybe they're just that lack of ambition, thinking they can't actually do this. And... Nine times out of ten, when Luka Milojojevic has a penalty to take the lead, he normally scores it. So I imagine a lot of fantasy football fans out there with him and his team absolutely raging. Yeah, cheers. There it is. <laughs> I knew it. Check, checked your team this week. Boston yeah, I, I, did something for the first time since about 2012, though, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Good he old. Pulled out, pulled out the fire a little bit. 
Right, so that brings an end to the weekend games. As we are recording at the moment, Arsenal are just about to kick off against Leicester, so we have no idea what the score is. Now on to the best feature in the show. It's our unpopular opinions. I've kept really quiet, but I'll tell you something. Honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How wrong is the game? Well, that's your opinion. You know, again, it's a game of opinions. And you've got a right to your opinion, but I've also got a right to my opinion. Ryan, do you want to kick us off this week? Yeah, can do, mate. Yeah, I've got. I think I've got a pretty, pretty contentious one today. But it's something I wholeheartedly believe in, which is what this is all about. The Europa League is better than the Champions League. Ooh. Oh. Okay, I'm willing to Go let on. you explain. Go on. Okay. I believe it is um, a lot more. Well, within the exception of probably about the last two seasons of the Champions League, because it seems to have bucked its ideas up in terms of like knockout games. But it's usually more exciting. There's more goals. Um, you only got to look at some of the some of the sort of aggregate scores from the knockout games last year. You've and, and years previously, like you've obviously got the famous Liverpool Dortmund games where they scored Liverpool scored like the 95th minute to win um, against Dortmund. It was like seven five on aggregate or something like that. It was a really good game last year. Um, Salzburg managed to get themselves to the semi-finals playing really good attacking football. And that's another thing I quite like about it: the fact that it is. Um, a lot of unheralded teams or teams that maybe would not normally get to a European final can get themselves into a position when they could win this thing and then obviously qualify for the Champions League. The Champions League, there seems to be the same teams. Like the Real Madrid have won it four years in a row now. And like it's, if not, it's them, it's Barcelona. If not them, it's just like it's just the same teams coming up. You can't really get a sort of a, a surprise winner. The last surprise winner was probably, what, Porto 2004? Whereas like teams as random as like Shakhtar Donetsk, Zenit St. Petersburg, um, like Fulham got to the final one year of the Europa League, Middlesbrough got to the final one year. Um, and you have teams like say like Seville who have won it a fair few times, but it seems to be more open as a, and therefore more fun as a spectacle. And I feel like the Champions League has become a bit boring, but like I say the last year or two has maybe proved me wrong in that. But yeah, I do I do think it's more pound for pound, probably better a better competition. You know what? Ordinarily, when you first said it, I was full of anger and I was about to tell you to fuck <laughs> off. But the Champions League has not allowed me to laugh so hard at John Guidetti missing an open goal in the last minute. So, <laughs> so I mean, he's not wrong. It is more exciting. But like you say, you look at, you look at Man United as an example. Like They won it in 2017, wasn't it? The first year Mourinho was there. Yeah. That's the closest they've come to winning. When was the last time they realistically got to the within spitting distance of winning the Champions League? It was probably the Barcelona final, wasn't it? The, the year mm. when they beat the Wembley. So that's seven years ago. Whereas like 2017, only what less than barely 18 months ago, they're winning a European competition and they had fun along the way. Like I said, playing sort of ego and then going to Ajax and and uh, playing against Ajax sorry, in the final and, and beating them. And it's, I don't, I just think it's just really good. And people sort of slag it off because it's on a Thursday and that. And But it's on BT Sport now. And like I said, they have really good coverage of it as well. Like from here to Azerbaijan and all the countries that take part in it, they really, they do go the extra mile. Obviously, when it was sort of stuck away on Channel 5, people would viewed it with some suspicion. But I, I just think it's fantastic as a competition. I feel like it doesn't get the credit it deserves. To make it clear, we don't have any sponsorship deals with BT Sport or Channel 5. No, they're just fucking doing really good <laughs> sports broadcasting. <laughs> I, Tom, I, disagree, I, I disagree with you, but 
Uh, I, I mainly disagree be, because um, when, when I think of the great European games, it's, it's always the Champions League. Whether it was the, the Liverpool 3-3 comeback, whether it was the final last year with the bicycle kick from Bale and, or the Zidane final in the early 2000s, United's late comeback when Solskjaer and Sheringham scored. I understand what you mean, I, and I, I do think the Europa since the Europa League has become the Europa League before being the, when it was the UEFA Cup, I think it's got more exciting and it's got more interesting. Um, but it's the same for me. It's the same type of thing as what is the World Cup is infinitely better than the European Championships. I think it's because it's the best of the best. It is more. I, I agree. The Champions League has got a bit boring with with uh, Real Madrid winning it um, in recent years so many times. But I, there, there is, on the other side of it, the reason it is so good is because it, it usually does result in the best team in Europe winning it. Um, obviously, you get the rare occasions, but it's usually Barcelona, usually Bayern Munich. I can't even think of uh, before Real Madrid. Or, it might, it would mean, Chelsea are probably the last team outside of those three teams to win it as well. Yeah, I think Chelsea and then Inter, weren't it? Just before when Mourinho yeah. was there. That's, that, that, yeah. That's, that's part of the reason why I don't particularly I do enjoy it like I say obviously I, I hope that Tottenham qualify for it every year but it's it's one of those things that we can't compete in it yeah because it's not it's the same four teams or maybe even if I'm being um, harsh it's the same two teams mm-hmm. usually Real Madrid and Barcelona like I say you get like an Atletico Madrid or sometimes make the final or um, obviously going back a bit further back you've got someone like um, Porto and Monaco the year when they got to the final but like no one can genuinely win it without being really good and it just I don't know, it just makes the usually the knockout games a bit more boring to watch with the exception of obviously like the recent one like the Barcelona PSG game when it finished like 5-1 that was a, a fantastic game a 6-1 sorry fantastic game of football but um, and like I said the, the Roma Liverpool games were, were very interesting last year in the semis but I don't know it's just it's just lost that edge of competitiveness I think about it I think I get what you mean in terms of it's probably boring seeing the same team, especially Madrid, obviously having won it four years in a row. Any competition gets stale when one team just dominates it. But I, I still think that the football played in the Champions League is to some extent better. Obviously, individual circumstances are different, but I think on the whole, the Champions League is a better competition than the Europa League, both in the teams that are in it and the football played. Yeah, I feel like that maybe I've come at this from a wrong angle in terms of the way that, like, if I'd have said this maybe before last year's knockout games, I may have had a bit more to cling to. But like I say, because it has sort of recently bucked its ideas, especially like I say with Roma getting to the semis, beating Barcelona in that sort of famous game, that has sort of maybe shifted the balance a little bit back towards it in terms of just competitiveness and also just the brand of football that's played. But like I say the, the definitely the quality of football is definitely better in the Champions League, but the Europa League has more chance for like, upsets, which is what appeals to me personally as a sort of a football watcher. I don't just want to see the same like four teams win, which is obviously a good thing for like, teams sort of like from unheralded countries getting to their semis and final. But yeah, I'd like to say I just I just think it, it doesn't get a lot of it doesn't get as much um praise as it should as a tournament, especially now you can actually qualify for the um, Champions League through it, which I think was a really good policy. I think it's one mm. of the best things that UEFA have done in the, well, apart from maybe introducing the 2014 Euros, that's probably the best thing they've done this decade in terms of like legislation. UEFA getting a praise. <laughs> <laughs> when does that happen? Uh, Tom, have you got 
have you got one a little bit spicier than that one? I feel like we were quite lukewarm on Ryan with that. Mm. Uh, I think that players, when they sign contracts, they shouldn't be allowed to exit the contract until the contract's expired. So they, they shouldn't be allowed to transfer until the contract's expired. And the solution to this would be that players sign shorter term contracts. But it means that you wouldn't uh, have the sort of speculation mounting all the time about players leaving or players wanting to leave. Uh, and maybe you'd get uh, more dedicated players whilst they're at your club. I've got no qualms with that whatsoever. Doesn't that happen already in terms of like players let their contracts run down and then leave and stuff like that? And... So, so ultimately, it's, it's every, everyone. The only way you could transfer would be a Bosman. Um, okay. So when you play for a club, you play for a club. So ultimately, it's the American sports model where you have you have the the contract you have with a player as an asset and that and you can't transfer them the only thing you could potentially do i guess is trade someone who has a contract for someone else who has a similar valued contract and you could swap teams but it means like things like the january transfer window or players trying to hand in transfer requests to get their i don't know an increased contract or things things like that it wouldn't work because they're a commodity to the club and it means what it means when players move that it would always be free transfers and it would be up to a lot more player power rather than clubs having like Chelsea, um, Arsenal, sorry, Man City and Chelsea having spending hundreds of millions of pounds over a few summers. I would probably contend that by saying that if we we're going to bring any sports model in from America, it should be the draft. Yeah. Imagine seeing Messi playing at Burnley. <laughs> It'd be fantastic. <laughs> It'd be so decent. Like you just get like these players. Like I say, maybe you could have this like rolling contract thing where a team that finishes in the bottom or a team that gets promoted, for example, like Fulham this year, you get like a team with a rolling contract. They could end up with Hazard. <laughs> that would be mental. <laughs> I think that would work in conjunction with that because otherwise you just get the bigger teams just trading contracts around. I think yeah, that yeah, would happen a lot. And obviously, it would have to be falling in line with the rest of the football world. You can't just have England do it and then Spain just coming in and going, "Yeah, we'll pay 100 million for him." They go, "All right, cheers, thank you." <laughs> obviously, it would have to be like worldwide. But yeah, I would. I've always, I've always liked to see for a bit of like hypothetical. Would like to see a, a sort of like an NFL style draft. In, in, in football just for one year but it doesn't have to be binding just one year just sort of you get someone like Brentford that could come up from the championship and they all get put into a hat and they draw it out first <laughs> and then Brentford Brentford just get Harry Kane for a year or Lukaku and they just end up just dominating everybody <laughs> but then the year after they'll get someone rubbish or get like Hosselu <laughs> because they finished off and that's how it should work it should that, that would make it a lot more fun but yeah I, I don't know I think I feel like to an extent that already happens to, in a bit of time in terms of like players, I say running down their contracts. Maybe it's over a longer period, like with Aaron Ramsey, it's signed like a five-year deal, and then probably going to leave on a free in the summer. But I don't know. I, I think um, there, there has potential there. But like I said, I, I would wholeheartedly back it if it involved a draft. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's there's very few players though that, in terms of elite players, very few of them move on free transfers anymore. It's it's always. They get in, in the middle of their contract. They get transferred to someone else. I guess like people like Suarez. Um, I mean Hazard. If he moves in, in January, the end of the season, obviously will still be under contract with Chelsea if he moves to Madrid. Yeah. Um, it'd just be more interesting to see. Like you remember when Van? Oh no, Van Persie wasn't free either. But um, I'm trying to think who's who's a big who's one of the biggest free. I suppose maybe Ibrahimovic was, was he 
Ibrahimovic was free when he moved. And, Sol um, Campbell. Yeah, obviously Big Going Sol. Don't start, <laughs> don't start with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no. I, I just thought it would be an interesting way of... Yeah, it, it's also a really good way of making maybe the league a bit fairer, but uh, it's, it's, it would be incredibly difficult to implement because imagine having a draft about a pool of players and being told, oh yeah, you've gone number one to Southampton. <laughs> I mean, like I said, that happens in American football in the NBA, yeah. doesn't it? You get these college kids come out and they go, "You're going to Houston," and they're like, "I don't have to, really." <laughs> but then, like I say, even to some extent, they always they sometimes trade them before, don't they? Like they'll they'll be an agreement in place where they'll go to like a really good team. Yeah. So like sometimes you'll get they'll they'll trade like the the Denver Nuggets will get will get the pick, <laughs> and then it'll go they'll go to like Miami or or LA or somewhere where they've got a good team. Mm. That's, that's my basketball knowledge exhausted. No, I, I like it. I like the idea. I think nail on the head in terms of it probably would have to be implemented globally because it would be unfair for other countries to just come in and poach. But I think it, it would work and it would definitely take away a lot of this. Just I will give you £150 million and teams just having to go, ah, oh, we've been strong armed. Let's just sell it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that, that's that's the goal, I guess, behind it, really. Worldwide draft, though. Ronaldo in the Azerbaijan League. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone to Malaysia. Congrats. I don't care if there's a civil war there. They've bought your country. <laughs> <laughs> Off you trot. <laughs> Off you go. Off you go to Chernomorets. <laughs> <laughs> As weeks have gone for unpopular opinions, they were quite mild this week. No one got, no one got too riled up. We'll get, I'll, I'll get, I'll get a really aggressive anti-Man United one for next week, mate. We'll see. Actually, I'll have a really aggressive anti-Man United one for next week. So it's fine. I've already, already got one in the hutch, mate. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I look forward to it. Um, right, that brings us to the end of our Premier League review episode. The last thing that we always finish off with: any talking points that anyone wants to briefly mention before we finish. Yes. <laughs> I, I've got one, but Ryan, you're first. Continue. Um, the, the continued uh, struggle with um, Portsmouth Football Club and people mispronouncing their players' and managers' names. <laughs> uh, mentioned briefly, I think it was it was off-air, we mentioned this the other week, about a Brett Pittman getting a nomination for the Player of the Month and they spelt his name with two T's and two N's at the end of it. And the, <laughs> the, the Twitter account was saying, oh, who is this Brett Pittman that you speak of? <laughs> And this followed, this followed up after the 1 0 win at, against Fleetwood on Saturday, where it sent them six points clear at the top of League One, which is, again is a story in itself because obviously they're sort of coming back to where they used to be. But um, they interviewed in one of the local papers with Portsmouth manager Kenny Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, for those, for those people that don't, don't know, it's Kenny Jacket is his actual name. But it's just the fact that the uh, the Twitter account, like the port, the official portsman, are just picking up on all of these, <laughs> just putting like an emoji, like some guy scratching his head, going, "I don't know who the manager Kenny Jenkins is, but he's doing a really good job." <laughs> it's just it's, it's just great, like it's, it's just like basic, just sort of fact checking on journalism. They just can't do it. But yeah, it didn't, really, it didn't make me laugh, especially with like say the Pittman fiasco from two weeks ago. Oh, that's that's wonderful, Tom. Have you got anything? <laughs> Uh, only an observation I made, which is which was post. I watched the Liverpool game against Huddersfield uh, on Saturday evening. It was on BT Sport, 
Now, BT Sport, when Champions League coverage, I think is very, very good, whether it's James Richardson or, uh, or Gary Lineker. Uh, and he has obviously a lot of top uh, ex-pros um, commenting on the, the games around Europe. I watched the game on uh, Saturday and it was, I think it was Jake Humphreys was the, I mean, my, my views on Jake Humphreys have already been put on this podcast. <laughs> we, he's got three kitchens, we get it. But I think um, he had Steve McManaman, Paul Ince and Chris Sutton as the, the co, I guess the co-pundits. Now, it is, they are awful. They are truly atrocious. Chris Sutton said that he thought the third best player in the world was Virgil van Dijk. What the fuck? Now, I get he's good, but then they, they said to him, oh, what about Hazard? And Chris Sutton's response was, well, yeah, but they play different positions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what he's getting at. <laughs> is this a... Be better as a centre half? <laughs> I think so. I, I think so. But uh, Paul Ince, someone, someone texted in and said, oh, uh, Paul Ince said this, it's ludicrous. And then Paul Ince then said, I didn't say that, he should get himself checked. <laughs> what, <laughs> what I don't understand is, whoever gave Jake Humphries the question to ask Paul Ince, surely they should have checked that Paul Ince said that. <laughs> they just dig out Paul Ince for no reason. He's at best at the end of the day, like when he's finished he's talking, like he always sounds like he's had a little bit too much port when he goes on. <laughs> just a little bit. He's, he's just like a bit like woozy and a bit like, oh, I don't really know where I am. And then to ask him something where he didn't even say it, that's only going to end up one way. <laughs> I, I also feel like Steve McMahon talks as if he wasn't a make a wish child playing in that Real Madrid team. <laughs> <laughs> As if he was there on like merit, which he definitely yeah. was. <laughs> but yeah, oh. it, it was, it's very humorous, and is that show specifically that one? I guess maybe didn't have the biggest budget, so it was definitely held together with sort of tape and elastic bands. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was it was truly awful. I know you've commented before on the the Robbie Savage show, Ryan, but oh, I think it's gosh. perhaps generally the the entirety of their output is very similar. Yeah, you said about not endorsing BT earlier, Danny. For for what all they good like, like Tom said, all the good they do for the European football, they back it up with some absolute tripe from the Premiership. So. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, Chris Sutton, especially when he gets talking about Scottish football, it's really good. You want to see the like just he's like so close to swearing on prime like prime time TV. As you'll ever see, like someone asking a question about Aberdeen, you'll just turn and go, Aberdeen are fucking shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just are. <laughs> it's like, okay, fair enough. That's, that's, he works on like a no facts basis. It's really, really much up. And my talking point for this week, one that Tom mentioned, I'd say maybe at the beginning of the season, with ones to watch in terms of the Benfica women's team, absolutely bulldozing every team in the league. They won 28-0 at the weekend. They scored 85 goals in four games. That's that's just one What's less goal. The than... point? Yeah. <laughs> so they've slacked off in a few weeks then, because if they've only scored 85 in four and 28 in one game, they should be up over 100 by now if they're keeping the, keeping the averages up. Yeah, they had, they had an absolutely abysmal result of only winning 10-0 the weekend before. Oh, close one. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's pretty poor. But incredibly, yeah, 85 goals in four games, just one less goal than Fulham have conceded this year, which is pretty <laughs> impressive. 
Unne- unnecessary burn on Fulham there. Didn't need to end. Didn't need to end the episode with that. Um, right, that brings us to the end of our Premier League review episode. As always, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with a Champions League review slash Premier League preview show with Tim and Alan. But us three will be back next week at the same time for another Premier League review. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>